This is not a recruitment podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Powered by People. I am lucky enough to be joined by two amazing co-hosts today. We have Rex Russling, um, who's going to be joining us from the Rec Hub itself, uh, our sales director at the Rec Hub. And we have Jaime, who's joining us um, as part of the uh, Love Honey group, uh, but has also just recently joined them after leaving Auto One. Um, so we're going to be talking a lot about uh, a couple of different topics. Um, we're going to be talking about how to make better decisions using data within the world of recruitment and people as a whole. Um, we're going to be talking about some of Jaime's experiences managing a team uh, who has been torn apart by war in the Ukraine. And we're also going to be exploring how your company's brand may also impact your uh, strategic uh, setup for recruitment as uh it's not quite the same, Jaime, is it? Selling uh, an e-commerce store that sells sex toys may be slightly different to a fintech like Auto One and, and the, the demand for that role. Correct, correct. This is very different. So when you are working in a company which is uh, um, selling used cars uh, uh, online uh, and then you move to, to, to the sex toy industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a massive difference. Yeah, yeah. uh, you can not just because they're not second hand. No, definitely not. That, we are talking about the kind. I mean, the positions can be called the same, and uh, it's a kind of same role. And we're looking for for probably same people for the same positions. But uh, yeah, there can be reluctances to to join the the company. What are the sort of typical things that you hear from people about why they don't want to work there, or how, and how do you get around it? Well. Honestly, if you don't really get to speak with the ones that they don't really want to work there, then yes, yes, <laughs> they yes, don't bring you or contact you. Uh, but uh, I believe that um, I've been there for, for one month yet, uh, so I don't really, I don't really uh, know of the stories, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I can tell you that for my own experience or for the experience of my team, that there is a question that always come along that you know what to do, mm. you know. And then if you work into an acquisition enough, you know that. Um, Every single recruiter in the business asks that question to the candidate, yeah. and not all of them know about it. Uh, but he was tricky. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I think you've got you've got where the elephant in the room pretty quickly in the process, haven't you? You don't want to be wasted. If if that's that's something that's going to come up at some point. If you haven't researched the brand already, Definitely. you're going to real, realize at some point you're selling sex toys. I think it's going to be easier in different teams as well. So like, I mean, fortunately you're in Berlin, which is a very progressive city anyway. It is um, for sure. And I think that people understand a lot more now that these th these products are basically they're not seedy it's about wellness mm -hmm. it's about it's about being sexually healthy and um, if you look at uh, for example teams in software engineering mm -hmm. data science analytics these tech teams ultimately by nature of being in tech uh, that's progressive in its nature mm -hmm. so they're always going to be attract more open-minded forward-thinking individuals um I imagine it's more challenging in other departments. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's a bit of everything. First and foremost, finance. So I can imagine that that's a tough one. Yes, accountability. Yeah, definitely. There's people who um, takes it like you know. So we'll give you give you an example. So I used to do a lot of interviews, 2018, 2019, uh, when I was uh, working more uh, heavily on on recruitment, and I always ask the candidates, "What do you know? Do you know the company?" 
And sometimes you get fed up with them. Like, how do you do the research? How you don't know? Yeah. And I remember one who told me once, um, I don't care. I code. Get that. Okay, well, he was like, you should, mate. And now I'm in this, uh, in this company, which you should care because you might have religious belief for whatever reason. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, it might not be your, your piece of cake, your cup of tea. <laughs> it might not be your cup of tea and uh, you have to choose uh, if it's for you, you know, at the beginning, maybe you don't bother. And then I found people in the interviews telling me like, it's just another product. Good. Yeah. If it's just another product for you and then you can work with it, then it's absolutely fine. If it's not, then you have to consider what, uh, what are you getting? 100% because yeah. it, the, I can guarantee you having done some research that you can also buy sex toys off Amazon. Um, but that, you know, that you don't necessarily not go to Amazon because they're, they're selling sex toys. It's an e-commerce platform that, that, that you're creating. Right. And it's about from, from particularly from a development point of view, it's about creating the best possible e-commerce platform that, that you can. We want to give the customers, um, we, we want the customers to, to understand their own sexuality. We want the customers to to get to know themselves better, to, to achieve wellness, no? But people who, who never express their sexuality and, and through toys, it's not only for one person individual, it's for couples as well, for every kind of individual. And we want to um, not only sell them the product, we want to be a brand for them that they can they can go and they can rely on our advice and they can rely on our products and we can, uh, you know, coach them in some way what's yeah. better for them and they can get to know better. It's not, I mean, for sure you can buy an Amazon, you can buy an yeah, and it were hacked, you know, but this is just a pro. You buy the box, you buy the product, and you figure it out yourself. 100%. There's kind of two things in that. So like, you buy a product because it tells a story. So you you will basically buy sex toys, um, you know, from Love Honey, not on Amazon, not because of the toy necessarily, mm-hmm. just because it tells a story about you caring uh, about sexual wellness and our exploration and exploration what yeah. that means for your relationship mm-hmm. um otherwise it, it's just a, it's literally just a piece of plastic yeah but um and this, uh, the other thing you were saying about how um like y- you know why would you want to be at a company it doesn't have to be the fact that you're a product user you can still be passionate because you think it's got fantastic business goals 100 percent. we are the powered by people podcast and m- the majority of businesses that we work with that you know or the majority of candidates that we deal with aren't a lot of them aren't joining just for the business they're joining for the people you know you you when you leave a business you don't leave a business remembering the products that were sold or the service that you you offered but you remember the manager that you worked with or you know the colleagues that that helped you in a particular project or it's usually the people that create that influence i think so uh the uh moving through through the agenda i suppose um want we we obviously wanted to talk a lot about uh, how we bring better decision making processes uh within the, the people's sphere using data um we for one at the rec hub are not great at it are we so getting that yeah we're trying <laughs> data data driven decisions are we more of a how does that feel we how does how does that gut what's the gut saying on that um, and you need to be building those those systems and processes in place when things are going well, mm-hmm. don't we? So that so that you're not on the back foot where, when they're not. But um, talk to us a little bit. You, obviously, this is something you worked a lot on at Auto One. 
Um, talk to us a little bit some of the initiatives that you looked at when when trying to create better data-driven decisions in, in Auto One. Well, time acquisition, you can do lots of things with data. But um, the main thing that you have to do is to set up the fundamentals. Because um, to have good data and to rely on the data that you have, you have to establish uh, other people have to do the same thing. It has to be measured. Yeah, with that, you need to also therefore make sure you're looking at the right data that, that can translate among... Um, talent acquisition managers hiring of different departments because if you've got people working in fulfillment centers and somebody else working on the data science team, mm -hmm. their processes or, or the data for them, if you, you choose the wrong data, it won't be relevant. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting. How do you, what's the process of figuring out what's the right data to look at? It depends a lot on the sample that you have. Yeah. And um, yeah, you, you look at the sample that you have and then you you start to understand how trends work, and then you see trends, and then you can you can gather the entire company recruitment funnel, and then you see a trend, like, and then you can see also uh, how people is using properly that, and then you can see correlations between the studies. Yeah, you, know, you can you can grab uh, fulfillment centers or, or refurbishment centers, and then you can see that uh, they do, for example, a test or assessment center instead of doing a final interview with the money. Okay, you take that along the way. But then you see conversions between calls that the person in the team of television does and what do they do in tech, for example. And then you can see correlation. You see a lot of correlations, a lot of percentages, how the conversion rates are happening. You know? So funny things that happen, for example, in, in, in a team of talent acquisition managers, let's call it, or specialists or recruiters, yeah. is that there is people who calls a lot and there is people who calls nothing, mm -hmm. you know? So there's people who calls 100 people per month and there's people who does 50 calls per month. Yep. And then you have to see what is the end of the line. Yeah. Because if you have one who calls 100 and hires five, and then you have one who calls 50, hires five, five, you need to understand what happens, right? And um, and there is this, this common discussion between performance and results. What matters the most? Yeah, we talk about this all the time. Um, input, input and output. What, what benefit of a people analyst to work alongside you in any of the companies you work yeah. at? How, what? What's their approach? Because I think a lot of these data-driven decisions from recruit, like they come from recruiters, mm. recruiters who have never perhaps um, studied in a quantitative field mm -hmm. or been an analyst. So how how do you see their angle approach when you work with an analyst? Well, um, they they have an orientation. They can see figures. They can see data, and it's also a negotiation with them because in social science data. It's not mathematics, yeah, like, like engineering, you know. Yeah, uh, so you have to understand that there's fluctuations, that there are things that they already set up perfectly. Uh, so it's a bit of a negotiation with them to understand where we want and what do we want and how do we read them, and then um, telling them what is acceptable or not. So you can also tell them um, little changes. So for example, they might tend to give you the average of something for measure, no? the average of calls, the average of the average of offers per month. So I was like, and I might prefer the median. Because, uh, as you mentioned before, there are differences between recruitment processes. So it's not the same if you hire technology that if you hire uh, refurbishment centers. But if you take the median, you can have a good representation because you're not looking at the out years of the sample. You don't, you don't, you take away these uh, extremes you know, of the sample, and then you can rely much more on the data. These things you can discuss them with your data analyst, and that's where really it helps. That's, I, that's really interesting that you're telling them what you want to see necessarily because. I remember you said at the beginning of this conversation that you think that there's lots of data in recruitment. There is lots of data in recruitment, but 
I think it's harder to know in people sciences what the right data is to be collecting and looking at because I've um, spoken to companies where it works the other way around. Actually, the analysts are telling the recruiters what data they should be looking at. It can happen. And unfortunately, I don't think that's the right way about it. Yeah, I, I agree with Jaime. I think you need to, because ultimately an analyst is there to analyze information. Well, you've got a couple of different roles, I suppose. Making sure that the, the structures and processes are in place to collate and uh, to collect and collate that data and then to analyze that data. Yeah. Um, Not but, analyze it and then tell what exactly. You may, have, you may have people that want to collaborate with you. You may have people that as a member of the board come and say, okay, how long is going to take me to have all these people in place? Yes. And they go in and give them a measure without asking you before. Yeah. Oh, and that, that can happen. In fact, that's a so so like it could be the case that brand new initiative, this many people hire six months yeah. time. You're looking at the cost per hire, and an analyst comes back to you after a month, and that cost per hire <laughs> looks super high. But you know, you need to give me a wider time frame to measure that, yes. and you'll then you will see that that cost per hire getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller all the way to the end of the project. But it does take somebody with experience, wisdom. Um, I have seen which is which is not data led, but it's valuable. I have seen that in my case again. I don't know from my background. Let's call it that. I can give them some indication and tends to work. But yeah, sometimes or or they assume things that you were saying uh, in terms of cost per high or even um, not considering variables like people leaving the team, yeah, or people leaving the recruitment team or people leaving the company and how long it takes you the replacement. They can consider also that when someone joins your team, it's a linear progression. So you have one hiring five, and you get another one, you get ten. Not really. Uh, I think it's. I think you, you know, if, if you if you aren't living in a in a data driven environment, you have to start with what you want. What do you want in terms of insights? You know, what do I want in terms of insights? And that could be, you know, if you're looking at recruitment, it could be cost per hire, it could be time to hire, it could be. Um, candidate experience uh, it could be all any of those things then once you've got the insights then you or, or what insights you need then you have to go down and start start looking at so how do we what information is needed in order to generate those insights so we need x y and z information okay so how do we record that information and then that's when the process systems tools come into place whether it might be um you know an mps uh, survey that you know, I've, I've worked uh, possibly we was a Bitpanda I think on, on a project with Bitpanda and yeah. after every uh, where, if a candidate got to um, a final whether they got the job or not whether they accepted an offer or not they was emailed with a, a sort of a customer ex a candidate experience survey and they collated all of that that data because they started with a we want to understand the insight was candidate experience that's an that's an insight that we want to understand. Okay, so what information do we need to collect? Well, we need to understand. We we want to collect a rating from zero to ten from our candidate from every candidate that goes all the way through the process. How do we collect that? Well, then let's use this tool, or you know that we can build the tool internally, or we can or we can find a business or a platform that's going to enable us to do that. I think that's the process that that a lot of people you, some a lot of people start with. We've got all of this data, 
what what can we get from this data and and you can go that way around but then you potentially are, are uh, you know in a position where you're now just trying to find a use for the data that you've got as opposed to identifying key metrics and insights that you actually want to uh, to look at to derive yeah that's a good point i think it's a non-negotiable of atsters nowadays that they they have to provide better measures mm. um from candidates and uh like you could have like you say some uh probably some like expected dashboards that people want to yeah. see that are really easy to extract from ats but being able to build your own is just, uh, just really important hi may um just so probably just so we can plug a couple of uh technology platforms and, and get more uh get more vision on the podcast um what's your um what's the best tools you've used over your uh your time in 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 people for well Coming on the on the part of gathering data, I believe that the ATS covers a part. Um, but the best thing you can do is to get an ATS that can integrate it with Tableau or a Power BI tool or BA tool. Which ones have you used? Tableau for me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I believe that's you have that. You, you truly have everything because most of the company can go into Tableau. You can have accounts for executives and so on. They can really, you know, get access. You can push pretty much any data into Tableau, can't you? It has to have an integration. Yeah. The ATS already have it. Yeah. And so you just have to, you know, speak with someone in data analytics or BI and yeah, yeah, yeah. And try to to get. What about in terms of ATSs? What's your best ATS or favorite ATS? Well, my favorite would be Smart Recruiter. Oh, really? Interesting. I've not actually used that. I've been through a quite a range, but not Smart Recruiters. I quite enjoyed Greenhouse. I think that was that was good. I think the automation setup was was pretty good. We looked. Uh, I used Lever on on a number of projects, and I like the nurturing features um, where you can build your candidate pools and then set sequences to to nurture particular pools of candidates. That was that was quite a nice tool. I thought that Lever was probably for me. It was the best one around like individual candidate process but then i loved the reporting aspect of greenhouse probably more the, yeah absolutely the, the the data the intelligence uh, of greenhouse was probably even if it was just the visual elements was better um i, I didn't i didn't find green i found greenhouse quite funny when booking uh interviews um uh, i think it was lever had easy book links and that just made it, that was actually quite a seamless, like it was as seamless as Calendly, whereas I find some of the other ATSs are a little bit more difficult. It's called EasyBook. EasyBook, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do have Libra. Ah, awesome. What, what was that process like with uh, with Smart Recruiters? Well, it's the, you know the beautiful thing of Smart Recruiters, you can, you can pretty much customize your role you want. Yeah. Um, so you can customize your recruiter process, super easy to gather data from here to there. Oh, amazing. Blog. Um, very good for candidate experience. Very good for for yeah, of course, some glitches here and there. So yeah, awesome. There's no perfect solution. There's never. I I always hear people talking pretty good about greenhouse. Yeah, the chance. And I also hear people talking bad about pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, there's always something like you say. It's it's certainly down to preference, isn't it? There's going to be there's going to be things you like, you don't like. Um, on 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 all platforms. What about, I know, Candidate MPS is one of those that I really feel like uh, companies, a lot of companies could be doing more about. Is there, have you ever worked with uh, measuring a, a Candidate MPS at all? They really do that in Auto1 and as far as I can see. Yeah. 
I think it's something that a lot of companies missing, um, and I think it's such such important data. I don't think I've ever worked on a project where they've actually measured candidate NPS um, accurately. Yeah, it's either at all or not. Because we used to we uh, with Pat Burke, didn't we? We used to sit down and he used to have these are your uh, your candidate experience scores for each recruiter. Mm-hmm. So you'd be you know you'd be able to understand, uh, fr- you know from from each recruiter. What their what their candidate process was was like, you know. This is, this is good in the sense of like, if you know that you are going to be registering record of how your experience is, um, you're going to do better. Or is it that um, you're going to get penalized? When do you ask? It must admit, I love the accountability aspect. Yeah, but what I'm thinking of is from a candidate. When do you ask them to give a feedback score on their process? Because if you do it when they've been rejected, that 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 up. True. Yeah. True. If you do it when they're in process, <laughs> if they've just been hired, I don't mind. Trick mine if it's when they are rejected, but. From my point of view, as a manager of, of people working in, in talent acquisition, but if then you pass that to an executive or a, I see it differently, you know, all that three out of five for me maybe is amazing. What are you doing wrong? Yes, yeah, this is true actually. Um, but that I suppose that comes down to managing expectations, doesn't it? Mm. Because even if the candidate's rejected, having that data to actually understand how they feel about the candidate experience is, is going to be really important. Um, even if it's a a two or a three, we know that on average, most candidates rejected are a three, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's good for a candidate that's been rejected. Whereas, you know, if a candidate that's hired, four or five is, is where we should be at. Um, so then if a candidate rejected is a one, we know that something's wrong there, that mm-hmm. they really, that there was something really wrong with the process. And, when, and that's the interesting point. So you've said at that point, right, something's wrong. Now, what it's then identifying what data should we be looking at because the it could might not be that somebody's a horrible recruiter. Yeah. It could be that we have no data on capacity planning. But actually we're pushing recruiters to get through maybe thirty screens a week. Yeah. yeah. They've got forty requirements and unfortunately candidate experience is suffering as a result. And what we should really be looking at is how to perhaps measure and, and judge capacity plan you know, i think that the the insights and this is really what insights are for is a trigger for you to deep dive into different pieces of information and data isn't it so then once you 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 understand that there's a problem there because of that you know candidate experience piece of data that your insight that you've got yeah now let's have a look into that to understand what the problem might be and then come up with some resolution if it was for me i would truly get every single piece of data that i can gather it's the new gold. Data's the new gold. This, you know, the thing is like many, many people get scared and you're working with them and you tell them, I'm going to start measuring. You have to do this because I have to measure your performance. And they only, yeah. what do you do based on my performance? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the same happens with the kind of experience and so on. So for me, yeah, we'll have everything and then I will take decisions on the basis of what they have. Um, are there any are any piece of tech, because your role, Jaime, is, is bigger than recruitment. It's more of a people, overall people function. So, Obviously, Jaime, your role is uh, slightly uh, more broad or broader than uh, than just recruitment, and um, you cover a number of people topics. Are there any other areas in which you find data being particularly relevant? Do what, what maybe we should start with? What other areas do you cover within the Love Honey Group? We arrange to cover all the areas of uh, of more generalistic war for the eastern part of Europe, for Poland, and for for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. How many people did you have in? employed in Ukraine before the war? 
before the war, or uh, I believe we managed the highest amount of people that the company had back then. It was 145, or no, 135, 150. Yeah. Wow. What's and what? Um, yeah, like what was that first week like? <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I managed disbelief. Yes, I'm very, I'm very united to to the to the country for for personal reasons as well. Uh, but um, but yeah, it was it was tough. Uh, I remember uh, we were having um, management meetings. Uh, I believe the war literally started on Wednesday. I have this setup. Probably it was Thursday. I don't remember specifically. But I remember like beginning of the week we started having these um, yeah level conversation, C level conversations. Uh, so people who had employees there on a director level, uh, CTO, senior vice presidents, and so on. We we started having this conversation with. Um, the highest representative of the company in terms of human resources there, which was reporting to me, Hannah. And um, we started meeting there, you know, like, how, how, how are things? Uh, and they were telling us, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, we don't believe it's going to happen. We don't believe it's going to happen. And another day passed, things tend to intensify. Ah, we don't believe anything has happened. And then the, the war kicks out. Well, because it, I mean, I might be remembering incorrectly, but I swear the build-up of arms was at least a year, was started at least a year prior. I don't think there was ever, ever, no, everyone always thought it was just a show of threat, a muscle-building competition. Yeah, and leave that they will remain the East. Yeah, it will not go in, uh, in the country level, let's say, they will more the East supply, and then that, that the people, I mean, there were, um, the company... Uh, was hiring uh, people uh, around the country, so we have people remotely, pretty much everywhere, some point. But the initial uh, uh, core was in Kiev, and most of the people was in Kiev. So there was not that belief that nothing is going to happen. So sure. uh, and yeah, yeah, time started to move, and they started to move closer to Kiev. At the point. What were the first sort of reactions from you, your team, the business in that in those first few days? I remember, I remember the, the day uh, when I woke up the day, and um, I, I picked up the phone because it was uh, sleeping. I don't have the phone sleeping nearby anymore, uh, but they have it, and I opened Slack, and there was a message from uh, from the CTO, like like condolences and, and support to the to the people and. Uh, yeah, we won meeting after meeting. We gathered the, the, the people who were, we were speaking the, that week um, and uh, we started thinking uh, what to do for support. Sure. So there were calls with the people in Poland, people in Romania, uh, because the company uh, have or has uh, dependencies there. And um, immediately after, um, the border was closed for male above 18. Yeah. And so many ma- men above 18 weren't allowed to cross the border no, and then be needed for the draft. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Oh, that is the hell. I can't even imagine how scary that must have been, right? Yeah, we had no employees uh, or, or and we didn't have any any real interactions really with with the war itself. The, the only thing I would say is that at the time I was very conscious of the fact that there were some really good talent acquisition managers who were probably thinking of getting out of Dodge. Yeah, needed something. And I did try to hire people, but the yeah. issue for me was, at that time, um, we don't have a Ukrainian entity. No, We didn't have a solution in place to hire people as an employee. And we also didn't really know what kind of support there was for us as an employee. As employee, employee, as an employee. An employer of these people, um, and also, they seem to be moving quite a lot, so it was quite difficult to pin people down for interviews and things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, it was complicated. Uh, Did you manage to support any, actually, because I've spoken to a few companies who were able in the early days to support some people, you know, coming over to Germany uh, or to the UK? Yes, yes, yes. We offer, um, the company offer back then um, um, a relocation package for people who wanted to move and um, we did our best to support them with, with assistance, uh, yeah. uh, whether it was uh, on a different language or any sure. of, of translations or for example, myself, I have this this person in Poland, Mati, and he was, uh, you know, become calls or or helping people to uh, get settled in Poland, for example, yeah. uh, helping them with, you know, everything, uh, legal documents, contracts, uh, uh, information about the payments, and uh, even housing if it was needed to to help them to show to contact landlords or um, other people who who moved to another country. Many people moved to Ukraine to Spain, for example. Yeah. How did they? Yes, yes, yes. Many people moved to Spain for different reasons, uh, or was there already, or you know, whatever happened. And um, yeah, they contact us to to help them to to settle with the local entity contracts or things like that. Yeah, so we we help them as much as we can on the on the change of contract and also helping the economic support and uh, yeah, as much as we could. Yeah, brilliant. It was quite nice to see a massive call to arms from a industry perspective. Um, I think there was a lot of collaboration happening. There were there was lots of spreadsheets flying around where mm-hmm. every, everybody was doing what they could to kind of um, make sure that the right information was getting shared with people on the ground, so yeah. that they could find opportunities for mm-hmm. themselves to to get into a better position. Um, what other what, what would you say, uh, Jaime, is uh, is your biggest ch- was your biggest challenge? I know. Love Honey Group, you've only been there one month today, so uh, congrats on your first one month. But um, you, it, while she was at Auto One, what would you say was one of your biggest challenges other than than uh, that the sort of managing the, the emotional uh, turmoil and, and physical turmoil of, of, of a war? Um, more like in the detail of, of people as a whole, what, what would you think one of the, the, some of the biggest challenges were for you? I believe biggest challenges... Was the hy- the hyper growth in itself is a challenge, you know? Like um, you have to hire tremendous amounts of people. How many were you hiring? Or what was the target on like a monthly basis? Uh, we managed to get somewhere like forty five a month. Well, on the highest, yes, amount that we got thirty or so. Did you see a drop in quality in things like onboarding and and things like that? There were drops in things, but um, I believe that one of the one of the nice things is I believe that the quality was kept good. It's interesting because what you often find is countries where they invest a lot in education, yeah. um, you end up with great universities offering brilliant STEM courses. And then the fear is the brain drain that goes after that. So you've got all these fantastic graduates who are like absolutely brilliant computer scientists. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Silicon Valley wants to snaffle them all up. Yeah. And how are you going to keep them for the prosperity of the country in the future? And these six percent tax rates are yeah. basically the mechanism to do that. Yeah, um, I don't think they're the only country that's had that issue. There's lots of them that try to battle to to keep the the best minds in the country. Yeah, yeah. they have countries that are more attractive in terms of economic uh, power, and uh, obviously that happens. We used to get that when I used to live in Singapore, and uh, again they've got two of the top ten universities for um, STEM courses out there are Nanyang um, and. Um, uh, NUS and basically they now have got a lot of um, things that they offer Singaporeans to stay there because otherwise they'll do their sort of 
semester out in Stanford or whatever, and then actually they decide they want to stay in the valley. Yeah. So, hi, mate. Um, we've got a... Uh, we've only just started to film this podcast, so when I say we have a tradition, it's a fairly flimsy one at this stage, but... Um, and we definitely didn't copy it from the Diary of a CEO or Stephen Bartlett. Um, but uh, maybe we did. Uh, but we have a tradition on the Powered by People podcast where uh, we ask every guest to write a question for the next guest. This question has been written by the wonderful Rose Hargreaves from Clara in London. Um, and she says, or she asks, what has been the hardest part of your job and how did you resolve this? Um, I believe that the, the hardest part was to uh, manage several teams, many places, mm. many countries, and and make them them performing and having very good results in this wave of, of uh, hyper growth and massive hyper growth. Sure. 2021, even the beginning of 2022. That was, yeah, the most difficult part, like, how to how to agree with yourself like if you have people in Berlin but there's part of the team which is somewhere else you should not privilege the people that you have here it's really difficult how did how did you put what what sort of initiatives or processes did you put in place to help overcome some of those some of those challenges well, I was myself to to um to be very digital uh yeah that regard like I believe that I can do a one-on-one -on -one with someone face-to-face. It might be more effective, but if I have a person in the same level, so I'm talking like maybe I have two, two team leads. I had two team leads back then here, or three team leads here, and I have one in Spain. Um, I cannot privilege them. Yeah, it's very true. Ones that are there, right? We have we have exactly the same challenges in the Red Hub because we're a remote-first organization. We have uh, we have a couple of offices, but they are you know if you would like to go into them, we don't we don't um, force anyone to to sort of go in. Um, and actually, ensuring we created something called the Vibe Team, um, which definitely wasn't stolen from Hopin. Um, uh, but uh, we basically the, the, put them in charge is a collective or a committee, if you like, of people in the business who are responsible for ensuring that we have a positive remote working culture mm -hmm. um, because that was such a huge challenge. If you're in an office every day with somebody, you, to, to make to sure that you're not, uh, you're not giving them any, uh, you know, favorite, favoritisms, if you like, um, un, uh, you know, unconsciously or subconsciously. Unconsciously, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, you're giving them a favorite if you're a favoritism, favorite, uh, creating favoritisms because of that, that you're with them more often than people that you aren't with. You also have to have quite strict um, policies and rules in place because sometimes you want to make sure that the introverts are, because if you're an introvert and you work remotely, you're even less likely to be looked at for promotions and pay rises and recognition and reward uh, because you're not shouting as loud on on slack or, or, or whatever uh, communication platforms you use and whereas extroverts may be a little bit more uh, able to do so or, or may have more confidence to do so it can be it can be uh, it can happen but yeah it's a matter of balancing yeah for sure and that's that's us from uh, the, the 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 team here today we have Jaime Rex and myself Harry 
thanks for joining us hope you've enjoyed the episode um and uh get come back next time to what what we call it in in the Liberia the ABCs so also the A's is basically our aspirations as an organization and those doesn't change um those are cutting across all the in the company then you have the big bets which is basically what every function is doing in order to achieve those aspirations and then you tell uh big big bets so this is what I'm getting at and then you go for um like the uh, commitments so what are the commitments that we will do in order to achieve those big bets and then you go into uh, the aspirations so